G'day everyone and welcome to episode 11 of the Turning Signals podcast. Coming to you from a wet and windy southwest Australia. I'm Liam Shuttleworth, joined today by my sister and co-host who, in the words of Wendy Williams, she's got a point, she's an icon, she's a legend and she is the moment. Zoe Shuttleworth. Wow, what an amazing... (laughs) I think she's talking about Peppa Pig. All right. but <laughs> it's still, it's applicable. Who is Wendy Williams? Um, she is like the biggest, perhaps like massive talk show host in the States. Oh, wow. She's really silly. Right. Like, like huge breasted black woman. <laughs> Excuse me. Um. I don't know if that's appropriate, but I feel like she, that's part of her persona. Like she, she's really silly. Um, I've never heard of her. Have you not? No, oh, okay. Never. Well, before I'll have we to Google her. before we kick off, oh, where's Wendy? So she initially like something that really impressed me about Wendy was she like with the vaccine when that came out. She was like, mm. I don't trust it. I'm not getting it. Oh, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah. Um, but she also like, she had this <laughs> crazy, she was dressed once as um, the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. And like collapsed. Do you yeah. remember seeing that? No. Um, and, you know, people thought that it was because she's like an MK Ultra, okay. you know, cyborg or whatever. Yeah. And, right. you know, they pressed the button on her and she collapsed or, okay. I mean, yeah, because she, she's real crazy. Um, yeah, right. Hang on, I'm just going to write. She's got a point. She's an icon. She's a legend. And she is the moment. Now come on now. <laughs> now come on now. Yeah, I've never seen her before. Mm. Mm. Yeah, she's, I mean... Out of touch. Enormously popular. Yeah. But, and I, I, I don't know, I don't really have much thoughts on her. But mm. she's been... She's not... She doesn't shy away from controversy. Yeah, well, that's always refreshing. Mm. Um, how are you? Anyway, it's um, the solstice. Yes, almost is. Yes, that's um, something interesting. Definitely, um, change of season, change of going into the cancer season, mm-hmm. and our winter officially. Yep. I like <clears> it. The <throat> darkness. Yes. Long light. Yes, it's worthwhile giving a little consideration to that. The pull inwards, maybe, being toasty by the fire and reading Jung's Red Book. Mm. That sounds <laughs> nice. That's my plan. <laughs> um, you've just recently returned from Capital City, actually. Yes, I did my talk, which is, it was great and it is a relief that it's done. Inviting Eris, Confrontations with the Goddess of Discord. Yes, that was it. Can you tell us a little bit about it, how it went and how it was received? Um, So it was, I sort of did it um, with awareness that what I was taking on was vast and um, unable to really be conveyed. Um, But I still was felt as though I was being 
directed to try and convey what cannot be conveyed. So um, in terms of the dark feminine and the emergence of that archetypal energy in the psyches and, you know, in the world psyche and, you know, individual psyches. So, and it was sort of um, based around a few kind kinds of quotes and things that I had come across over the years that sort of affirmed my suspicions around the emergence of the dark feminine. So one of those quotes was um, Marion Woodman and she wrote, the goddess is demanding confrontation and she is demanding it where it hurts most. If we turn our backs on that confrontation, we do pay in blood. Mm. Um, Which I couldn't, you know, through COVID and all that and the vaccine issues and all of those kinds of contentious conflicts that came up, I that quote just stayed with me so much and I felt like as we've sort of gone through it and listening to people like, um, like I heard Brett Weinstein talking, a bit, like reflecting on the Bath Conference, the one that was organised by... Tess Laurie, I think, okay. in the UK. And um, he was just talking about how wonderful it was to be in a room with like-minded people who have come through the last couple of years, lost their careers, reputations, livelihoods, you know, everything essentially has been completely turned on its head. But something has happened to them in terms of like a transformation that is, you know, you, would, you wouldn't trade it for anything in a way. Mm. Um, and every person in that room by his account was on that page. Mm. And it really felt like an affirmation of my own experience of that, you know, like, and I read the um, reviews of, the psychology of totalitarianism, um, Matthias Desmet's recently released English version of his book, and all of those reviews are by people like um, Peter McCullough, Robert Malone, mm. you know, like all the who feel now like friends, you know, like they mm-hmm. feel to me like just because <laughs> like all in this mess together of, you know, whatever. But anyway, I just feel like those we who have um, sort of gone through our own apocalypses, um, apocalypse means literally unveiling, and I think Eris's function, um, perhaps primarily, is that kind of unveiling, that exposure. Mm. And I think in the last couple of years, it's become increasingly exposing of... Yeah, the kinds of sinister things that are going on in our world. And yeah, for those of us who have been alerted to that, woken up to that, taken the red pill or whatever, it's like increasingly undeniable and Mm. increasingly like, well, we just go our own way then. We are transformed, we are awake, we are on this path and, you know, we're doing it. Mm. Um, so yeah, my talk was a lot to do with that kind of thing and it was, you know, obviously, yeah, I wasn't talking to a room full of like, like-minded people except in so far as we all appreciate Jung 
So I tied it into a few Jungian, I mean Jung was into the age of Aquarius obviously um, and so he wrote about the dangers, the shadow of Aquarius and you know the potential things that we were going to be faced with all of which seem to be <laughs> very present in the world now and um yeah so did I, you kind of preface the talk a little bit with that like the like age of Aquarius and Jung's well I did a talk last year that was on the age of Aquarius with the West Australian Jung Society so mm-hmm. most of the people who came this time had been there for that mm-hmm. um and I did yeah, so in my um, sort of blurb on the talk, I referred to that, that it would be connected to that talk, but also stand on its own as well, So, which hopefully it did. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is certainly, you know, the emergence of the dark feminine is concurrent with the emergence of the Aquarian ion. And so bringing those two things together, because Aquarius is a masculine, so-called masculine or yang sign, being an air sign. So in that sense, it doesn't necessarily fit with the idea of an emerging dark feminine. Mm. Um, But in other ways, it does. So, I mean, my intention is to record a Zoom version of my talk so that it has, you know, my slideshow and the hour and a bit of verbal content. And, yeah, I'm quite happy to make that available to our audience. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Did you hear Britney Spears' wedding was crashed? Oh, was it? <laughs> By Eris. <laughs> Goddess of Discord, really? Well, yeah, but it was like her ex-husband. No way, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> some, some random guy that she married in Vegas some oh, years wow. back. And it wasn't Kevin, no. Madeline. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just thought that was... Uh, how like appropriate. A, yes. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> Poor old uh, Justin Bieber got the palsy. Did you yeah. see? Yeah, yeah. It's it's similar to um, Bell's palsy, isn't it? But yeah. It's something slightly different. I but forget yeah. what it's called. Me too. It's a mouthful. It's rumored that he also suffered a blood clot. Oh, and really? And had surgery to remove that like wow. some months ago, which is oh god awful. It um, is awful. You know, whatever you think of the Biebs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm actually quite a fan. I don't know that much of his music, but I do like some of it. And I think he's got Pluto um, rising in his chart like me, so I always thought we were kind of like... Simpatico. Simpatico, yeah, <laughs> in some weird way. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's a... You know, he's like one of the biggest celebrities in the world, so mm. it, it, you know, it's good to draw attention to the fact that there are... A lot of people experiencing uh, adverse effects of yes, medical procedures. Absolutely. So I did a Facebook post about that recently because, again, Brett Weinstein talking about the gaslighting of um, people who have suffered adverse mm. events. And I mean, it is such insult to injury to yeah. be faced with not only the terrible health effects, sometimes horrendous, you know health effects directly as a result of the vaccine but then to be you know treated like a absolute yeah yeah especially when you've you know quote done the right thing absolutely yeah um yeah yeah it's heartbreaking really 
And yeah, I think I would be able to count more than 20 people I know or know of who have suffered a a vaccine injury, like in my personal life. Mm. And that's a lot, you know, like (laughs) uh, way too many. And I don't, you know, people I've said that to have said, yeah, they feel the same. Yeah. That they could similarly name too many people who have... Well, I guess there's quite a lot of talk now about, you know, on the plus side of this whole issue in the medical space, but also in like the political space that now there's things that we're talking about as a result of, you know, in the medical space, for example, we've had this medical procedure causing these side effects. Mm. And so that has brought forward the discussion around side effects from medical procedures Mm. more broadly. Mm. And that's like something that has been really ignored and not really even like known much about, but now it's it's becoming more common knowledge to kind of understand things like, um, you know, medical mismanagement mm. and other effects that vaccines of, you know, prior COVID. Yeah, yeah, so, and even not necessarily only vaccines, but yeah, just in general, the I think um, iatrogenic is the word when it's like a healthcare related. Uh, potentially pharmaceutical related mm. you know where it is exacerbated made worse you know or whatever yeah, i actually speaking of vaccines i've <clears throat> spent most of the week in bed which has been really nice um it, it, it's the nice part of being unwell mm. but um i've been watching lots of stuff including a revisit to the old x files oh wow there's this four part kind of cross-season saga called um, My Struggle. Mm. It centers on the idea that the smallpox vaccine contained a gene editing code. Wow. Which depletes people's immune system. Wow. And leading to like devastating like illness en masse across the US. Like that's the plot. And (laughs) yeah, I think that the like that installment was kind of finished in the late 90s right um but it you know it's it's like you know people talk about how like the simpsons predicted the future Mm. heaps of times and like how did like how did the x-files like what did what did they know like and the x-files like kind of talked about a heap of stuff that Mm. has potentially come true or conspiracies that are like becoming kind of more Orwell, like how did Orwell know what was going to happen? Yeah. So taking that kind of um, question even further to like, you know, my former fixation with the Frankfurt School and critical theory and their conclusion that the way to create culture is through marketing Mm. and narratives and aesthetics. So you can kind of brainwash a population through, and that's, you know, Edward Bernays and his invention of... um, marketing um but you know even further through economic and technological innovation so you've got like these ideas that then become like reality um and it's like you know the simpsons Mm. forecasting whatever x-files forecasting whatever i actually think like the ideas come first it's not 
Because the elites that enact all of this shit, they've got no brains, no, no creativity, no, no inspiration. Like they're, they're such dumb heads mm. that they actually like get all these ideas from you know, creative arenas or universities or wherever yeah. and they just like enact them later on. Mm. So yeah, they might not have any kind of, they have these negative intentions but they don't have any brains on how to execute. And we can actually see in China you know, so many companies in China now have to outsource their like innovation and creativity right. because they've created this nation mm. of like middle-class drones yeah. through this very homogenized education system. Yeah, it's which, like standardized. Yeah. yeah. And so now they've got no ideas mm. within that population. They have to actually go to like the West or maybe India even yeah. to like get some innovation inspiration you know i yeah, also found out that they <laughs> china all of the investment that china like makes money on is in the west right isn't that interesting mm. yeah so they kind of need us like a, as much as we need them yeah it's like a dependence like yeah codependent so yeah anyway i thought that was fun yeah, well, it's fun to think about. I wonder, it is fun to think about and it is very interesting and I also do still believe that people, you know, the elites, um, people like Klaus Schwab and Yuval Harari and I was also um, in the last week watching a bit of transhuman, um, like Nick Bostrom, I think his name is, and a young woman who was on hack commenting on the AI bot that the Google bot that went oh, sentient. Yeah. Um, by the report of the researcher who has been stood down at Google. Mm. <laughs> um, and I mean, that was an interesting story, actually, wasn't it? Under the Sagittarian full moon. Mm. Um, but yeah, she has just released a book uh, and the name of the book I've forgotten, but she is a full transhumanist and she's talking about how our conundrum now at the beginning of the 21st century is choosing between either post-humanism or extinction. And so th that, that's the kind of... Um, for them, you know, these transhumanists, um, people like the trans, the, you know, making good on the AI agenda like Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates and people like that who are getting right into it. It's like their intentions may be quite good. Like this young girl talking about AI as an absolute necessity because humankind are clearly not equipped to figure out a way to solve all our many problems and our only hope is to merge with AI mm. to a super intelligent I mean I think that's what they call it super intelligence um, I think that's Nick Bostrom's book which I've ordered but haven't yet received yeah so it's interesting that that you know they're not like bad people They've got, but the whole line of thinking of Nick Bostrom is that we have kind of one shot to 
program AI with a virtuous intent and then if we, you know, muck that up, we'll probably have problems. Mm. <laughs> but to me, I mean, that's what my talk was about as well is that it's not enough to just have what we believe arbitrarily to be like good intentions and it's like, you know, same with Klaus Schwab and the WEF, Bill Gates and his like saving the world with vaccines or whatever, like no matter how much they might think that they've got good intentions and that they're trying to save the world, it's actually number one, like misguided and going to be become distorted simply by virtue of the shadow, you know, like that there is a compensatory function in our cosmos, chaosmos, coming through the unconscious, coming through the dark feminine, mm. coming through Eris. We don't get away with things just because we think that we're going in the right direction. And Ian McGilchrist talks about it a lot, you know, in his latest book and even in Master and His Emissary. You push in one direction, you come back to the place where you were trying to get away from mm. every time. It's like the function of the universe. <laughs> the, the reason, the, like, their logic is so circular, though. Yeah. It's like, well, I the, mean, the, 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 are they saying, well, we know everything, so yeah. there's only one solution? Yeah. Like, I know. It's because so you can't ridiculous. think of one. Yeah. <laughs> because you think you've got the smartest people assembled. Yeah. Is that like, fuck. I know. Without actually exploring like the possibility, the potential of the human mind. And the creative and mind as well. Like well, not just I would say this, more so. The yeah, well, mind. I mean to me, art is the only answer. I went to um Van Gogh Alive yesterday. Oh. oh my god. Where was it? Uh it's at Supreme Court Gardens. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um yeah. And I mean just thinking I mean he his story is incredible and his art is obviously, you know, he painted 930 paintings in 10 years mm. and sold one. <laughs> and I mean... Where are they now? Yeah. <laughs> now they sell for $100 million a piece. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, art and creativity are really the the way through and um, to my way of thinking and... That comes purely out of the, you know, dark feminine, really. Mm. Well, not purely. It's really the, you know, the two poles that are consciousness and the unconscious and the energy that moves between them, the back and forth, the allowance and resistance that we move between. That dynamic is where creativity comes from, which necessitates the existence of the dark and darkness is not evil, so it's mm. like, that's, yeah. Anyway, that was a bit of a tangent going from X-Files. Well, yeah, no, I, that's fine. I was, I was hoping that that little um, exploration might lead me to this doco. Yeah, well, go, go for it. I didn't want to leave the AI bot out, that was all. No, yes, I'm glad mm. you brought it up. I um, thought it was significant. Yeah, so What is a Woman, new documentary from Matt Walsh. Um, have you come across Matt Walsh before? Had you? Um, no, no. Well, he 
I mean, he's I part of now. that conservative media platform, The Daily Wire. Yes. Which is like Ben Shapiro. Yes. Ugh, cringe. Oh, but, really? Uh, you don't like Ben Shapiro? Oh, he's a... <laughs> He's a lunatic. He's right. an absolute lunatic. And yeah, I, I suppose like you've got to have, but he's the kind of right wing equivalent of like the blue head, like hysterical liberal. Sure. You know, he's that yeah. kind of apex. Yeah. Like, he's written a lot of books. Okay. Wow. Impressive number of books actually. Yeah. For a young fella. He, he mustn't be, he would be oh, 35 or something. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I mean that. So they're they're all around the same age, like Matt Walsh and Candace Owens okay. and yeah, yeah. Co. Like they're yeah. all, and you know, the Daily Wire, um, as like a media platform, it's I think it's awesome. That's brilliant. That's it's actually the only place you can kind of watch. What is a woman at the moment that I could find? Yeah, I haven't signed up. I haven't watched it because I didn't want to subscribe. Yeah, so really, there is um, if you have access to like one two three movies or those kind of dodgy streaming services yeah it is like i watched it for free um but yeah i guess like at the moment you kind of have to subscribe to the daily wire to watch it um Mm -hmm. which i i feel like daily wire do good stuff because they you know their mission is to establish some kind of balance in the media Mm. um they identify as conservatives and would argue that there's very few conservative voices in the media. It's kind of them and Tucker Carlson. Mm. (laughs) So, yeah, and I think that that's true. I mean, yeah, there's heaps of like moderate voices for sure, but, you know, they, the moderates are kind of the problem in a way. Um, Yeah, sure. Anyway, so uh, what is a woman? Um, so Matt Walsh defines himself as a journalist, an activist. He was particularly outspoken around issues affecting kids, particularly masking. Right. And all of the like ridiculous stuff that was going on in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems to be quite like concerned with um, issues for young people. And like genuinely, I think he's a really good guy. Yeah, well, that's what I appreciated in what I've watched of his and listened to of his is that seems to be his predominant concern is kids getting swept up in this gender issue which is potentially incredibly damaging and oh it's damaging yeah yeah so i'm just going to run through yeah go ahead i'll be quiet (laughs) so early in the film he visits with a, a gender quote gender affirming therapist um I didn't actually write it down, but later Jordan Peterson gets really angry about the idea of a, any therapist that is affirming, yeah. that it's not a therapist's job to affirm anything. Right. It's to like question you, mm. actually. Anyway, uh, gender affirming. Point. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> um, so the gender affirming therapist explains the quote modalities which they draw on for their work. Um, citing the old tropes based in third wave feminism about how we live in a gendered world. When you're assigned a gender at birth, you're assigned um, clothing, play, development, and basically a life course. Mm. Um, I'm going to play some audio. Yeah, so um, most times people, when they're born, um, they're assigned a gender by the, the doctor. doctors. Yeah. Like, what, do they, what do they base that assignment on? 
So basically, it's, it's based on genitalia. Um, so people looking at genitalia and deciding, okay, this is a, a girl or a boy. Um, and we know now that, like, that sex and gender are so much more than just this binary. Some women have penises, right? Some men have vaginas. Um, that, that that's not how how gender works. How do we know that? How do we know that that's not true? Where, where, where did we learn that from? Yeah, well, we I I learned that um, from hearing from transgender people who've said like, oh, I'm a trans woman, um, and just because I happen to have a penis, right? That doesn't mean that this is like who I am as a person, um, or or that genitalia doesn't equal gender. Um, who they are, their gender, their gender expression, um, that, yeah, a trans woman is a woman. With the fluidity of these things, how do I know if, if I'm a woman? You know, I... I That's a great I like, question. I like scented candles. Yeah. I've watched Sex and the City. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how do I know? Yeah, Matt, that question right there, like, that question is, like when it's asked with a lot of curiosity, right? That's the beginning of a lot of people's like gender identity development journeys. If my mom who gave birth to me is a woman mm-hmm. and my wife is a woman, um, I haven't asked her. Maybe I should. Um, but if they're all women and also the boy who sits down with you and says, I, I think I'm a girl actually is one, then, then what is a woman? Mm. Great question. I'm not a woman, so I I can't really answer that. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun in that sense, this doco. Um, After that, he goes on to the streets of Manhattan and asks, like, the public, does, like, a Vox Pop thing. Um, He's just asking, what is a woman? And people can't answer. Mm. And I honestly, because I watched it twice and I actually was thinking that like the American population, a lot of them are like very poorly educated. And I think that a lot of like public school education has been very inconsistent in what it's taught in American Mm -hmm. history, recent history, especially, you know, pretty much everybody that he asks who's like American and under the age of, let's say 50 um, says that they don't they don't know they can't answer right. and I would say that like half of them are being kind of sensitive mm. and like careful mm. because it's a hot topic yeah but also pretend like to be a bit more generous maybe they're being you know it's to kind of make that biological like reductionist argument that a woman is a an adult female human mm. that that it doesn't kind of do justice to a woman is not just that mm. there's other things that woman is. So I guess there's some people who are trying to be a bit more sensitive, but I reckon like some people genuinely actually don't now don't know how, what, how to define a woman. Mm. They actually couldn't recall a, because they look very confused. They're like, yeah. what do you mean? Like, and then, <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. What were you going to say? Well, it is kind of a confronting question in the current context, isn't it? Because it's yes, like, it's I kind should of, be able to answer this question. Well, it's pretty I loaded. No, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and yeah, I mean, of course, it's blatantly obvious, adult, female, human. But um, 
I've I'd, started... Oh, go on. Oh, well. I mean, I just think I'm quite happy for people to dress however they want to dress and identify however they want to identify. But it's always like I've always wondered in this argument about where does that actually stop? So can I identify as a tree next? Yeah. Or a rock? I or think... Or a Native American? You know, or we... Or where does yeah. it actually, like, yeah. stop? Yeah. Um, I think probably, like, Matt's concern or the concern from, you know, myself included, is that essentially like you're dealing with a, often a, there's vulnerabilities. So there's kids who are being exploited. Yes. And there's also, this will come up, I've got more to talk about, but there's, yeah, there's kids that are being exploited by Mm. like big pharma, 100%. Yeah. And then there's um, opportunities for uh, perverts or... (laughs) um, you know, sex, sex offenders yeah. to, you know, do things like share bathrooms with members of the opposite sex mm-hmm. or expose themselves to children or, yeah. and it, you know, it's, there's like legal protections happening yeah. and yeah. And it, it, he kind of approaches that to some degree and it, it gets really shut down. Anyway, I'll go on. He, he goes to visit next uh, a surgeon, um, Dr. Marcy Bowers who he actually identifies as transgender, but she like pulls him up and is like, I used to be transgender, and but now I'm a woman, which is interesting. Um, she's performed over 2,000 gender-affirming surgeries, mm. her youngest patient being 16. Yes. Which is like just horrific to think about, if you ask me. She, he asks her if she thinks 16 is too young. And she says, absolutely not. Yes, I saw a little bit of an interview on that. Um, Or, you know, conversation around that. Yep, it's very disturbing. Mm. He goes next to the University of Tennessee and talks with a professor of women, gender and sexuality studies, Dr. Patrick Grzanska. Um, He talks at length about... The doctor, Patrick, he talks at length about the difference between gender and sex, and but without being able to define it. Um, mm. I've got a funny... A male, then. Couldn't, couldn't we plainly say, this person is a male? Well, well I guess it's, it's like, why are you asking the question? I think I, I, I want to understand sort of why that's so important. So if someone tells Just you... Just to, to sort of understand reality you know well i mean i think when someone tells you who they are you should believe them so if a person says that they're a woman or they're a man then that's them telling you their gender is i'm not so sure what what social um interactions would have to do with with maleness or femaleness that we i'm not even talking about social context i'm just i'm just trying to start by getting to the truth you know yeah, I mean, I'm really uncomfortable with that language of, like, g- getting to the truth. Again, in social why, why life... Is that, why is that uncomfortable? Because that... It sounds actually deeply transphobic to me. Um, and the truth? You, and, and if you keep probing, we're going to stop the interview. I, if I probe about what the truth is? 
you keep invoking the word truth, which is condescending and rude. I'm saying to you, how is the word truth condescending and rude? Why don't you tell me what your truth is, and you're walking on 30 seconds more of the nights before I get up. So you find that heaps of the kind of um, supporters of transgenderism, I suppose, they all become really defensive Mm, when Matt mentions truth, the word truth. Yes, they are triggered. And like that... So I'm, I've just started reading 1984 mm. and, you know, I think about the these definitions being erased, you know, the definition of woman essentially being erased, not from the dictionary, but from the mind. Mm. Same with, like, the definition of truth. Mm. Like that professor who says, what is your truth? And that responds as like, I don't have a truth. Like, there is a truth. <laughs> And, but I mean, and I feel like the left have really, really involved in this idea that there is no kind of, there's no reliable truth. It's, it's a huge discussion really, because it, and it ties in so much to Sagittarius, you know, like big T truth, little T truth, like my truth and the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it can become... When you look at it like that, it seems quite ridiculous. But then in another sense, of course, we all have a subjective sense of what truth is and my truth, quote unquote. But it's like how much of that really matters when you're looking at the world as a whole, there is the truth, isn't there? Like on some level there is. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. He speaks with a paediatrician who really advocates the use of puberty blockers and, like, God. prescribes them, like, flat out. She's, she says, like, her words are something like, I deal with kiddos who, who feel anxious about, you know, they start going through puberty and they feel that they're not ready to make a decision about their gender that will affect the rest of their life. And she says, hey... We can just put that on pause we can until you're ready. And then he asks her, Matt Walsh asks her if he, she can confirm that the drug she's using is like Lupron. Mm. Um, and she, again, she's like, I think we're going to have to stop this interview. Yeah, because it's used with... It's the drug for chemical castration. Offenders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's there's been no... So it comes out later... Um, in the documentary that there has been no like trials or like studies Mm. on what that drug does to children over a longer term. But because now the study is, the study's happening, right? So it's decreasing bone density Mm. and often it prevents, um, they're finding that it prevents like the development of like, Maturity? Yeah, and well, and also like sex organs. Right. So that yeah. it results in infertility yeah. later, but also like underdevelopment. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, the, I guess like the argument is that it, you, there is no such thing as pausing, like, no. like stopping. Yeah. You stop puberty, you yeah. prevent it essentially yeah. from taking place. Yeah. Um, he speaks with this woman, uh, Miriam 
Grossman, she's a child psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to play. Child psychiatry. What is transgenderism from a psychiatric standpoint? The best way to approach it is by speaking about gender dysphoria, which is an intense loathing and discomfort with one's biological sex. They exist anywhere between one in 30,000 people and one in 110,000. It's important to distinguish those people from what's happening much more recently, which is kids that never had any um, discomfort or dysphoria, as it's now called, with their biological sex. And then quite suddenly, as preteens or as, as adolescents, they come out and they announce that they are gender fluid or they they start to question their sex so first let's define the terms sex and gender i'm just gonna stop there but um you know it was i think less than 20 years ago it was so i remember like you know the trans movement started getting a little bit of traction Mm. And it, I thought I feel I thought it was quite positive because trans people exist, and especially when you're talking about like gender dysphoria. Mm. So that's what Miriam Grossman is talking about there—that yeah. it does exist. Yes, but absolutely, like this, you know, six percent of kids in California who identify as trans now mm. are not gender dysphoric. No, and they've just had seeds planted in their minds by. And their parents take them off to a fucking doctor. Yeah, and, and put them on some... And they start... So, I'll come back to a couple of things, but I just want to say at this point... So, Matt Walsh, he speaks with an anti-trans activist, mm. um, Scott Nugent, who transitioned to a man, but states that they will never be a man. So Yeah, I think I saw a clip of this. It's yeah. been... I mean, he's kind of been called the hero of the documentary. Yes, that's the one, yeah. yeah. So, there's a couple of things that he cites. The estimated value of a transgender patient is around $1.3 million across the life course. Mm -hmm. So, that's what you, you know, that's why medical companies, hospitals, big pharma would be keen to sign up these kids. Yeah. Because it's, you've got a a guaranteed source of income for life. Yeah. The initial surgery is $70,000. It's irreversible. Um, 70% odd kind of guarantee of complications such as infections, mm. severe ingrown hairs. Wow. How brutal does that sound? <laughs> Hormone rejections, mm. severe permanent scarring, heart injuries from stress, overall shortened lifespan and cancer Yeah. as a result of... The surgery. Which is still experimental Yeah. because there's no consensus on how best to Mm. turn someone the opposite sex um and it's promoted as the leading treatment for gender dysphoria god um so is he the person who said um i think it's in the preview trailer um that as a 42 year old man they got him Mm. and so they can get your kid. 
Yeah. And so I think that's like a very important, I mean, it's kind of like fear mongery in a way, but it's also like we do need to be aware of it as a, a movement in, a, in the culture that this is like being normalised. Obviously, the US is a bit ahead of Australia, but you see it here now too. And yeah. I mean, I don't have any problem with the way people present themselves or anything like that, but the issue is children. That well, is the, you know... It's the exploitation, yes. I think. Like, so and the drugs and the surgery really need to be absolutely avoided completely until people are fully grown, you know, yep. like 25, 30 years old. Yeah. Okay, if you're really convinced, sure. But um, as well, who's the Jenner, the dad? Uh, Bruce the, Jenner, the Caitlyn Jenner. So he transitioned didn't he yes from male to female yes he is now caitlin is he yes and he was what 50 something when he did that yeah so that's an interesting case i know nothing about it but it just popped into my head um that that happened five years ago or something yeah and so obviously that psychology got into him too that kind of like seeds of doubt were sown and he started being curious about am i actually a man you know, <laughs> I don't know. I think, um, yeah, I don't know either. the kind of percentage of like male to female transgender people, like the, the age bracket, I think is like among the highest or second highest is men over 50 right? and has been for a really long time. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're going back to those statistics of like 20 years ago, that's yeah. really quite normal. Yeah. Um, so that's the, is that dysphoria? What he's experienced? Uh, I do you actually think? don't know, yeah. but I, I guess it's like that, like a person like Caitlin might say that I spent my whole life living as a man when I always felt like a woman. Yeah. Um, but you know, Caitlin Jenner is massively opposed to like biological men in women's sport. Right. Like really outspoken yeah. about it, actually. Like, and, and that. Like, do you remember? There's a. Um, so when I was first learning about Jordan Peterson's work, and then he came to Australia, and he was on the Q and A panel. Yeah. And they seated him beside that cricketer, who's a trans, now a woman, was a man. Okay. Um, and, and I just read the like skim read an article that came out in April, I think, where she's now said that she regrets going into women's cricket mm. as a trans woman. Right. Um, because, you know, for various reasons, but it's like not, I mean, yeah, it's just a very, you know, challenging issue, isn't it? You can't just, and yeah, the Awaken with JP, he... Makes lots of jokes about the... <laughs> yeah, so I think that it's like reasonable to... Like we can kind of rely on... Like as a fact, I, I'm prepared to say like we can rely on the fact that people who think they're a different gender mm. um, are commonly like mentally unwell. And that it's it's something that you can... I mean, this is your life. Mm. I, I believe that dysphoria exists, but I, I also feel like that a lot of people 
the, the experience of being human is quite fluid mm. and it's normal to feel yes. different kind of... From one day to the next. Or like one year to the next. Sure. You've you got to allow yourself to change. And even like, you know, I'm someone who, you know, I'm happy to admit that, you know, I dressed in girls' clothes until I was like seven or eight, maybe. Mm. And, you know, found even, you know, I kind of got bullied for that. And I was quite mm. feminine as a child. Yeah. Um. And probably I was quite confused. And if if I was growing up in California today, I'm sure that I'd be... You would have been right for the picking. Absolutely. Movie. I would yeah. have. And I'm sure I probably would have been like, no, I'm going to do it because it's cool. Mm. Um, it just brings me to Bill Mayer, Bill Maher. Um, do you know Bill Maher? Name He's rings like a, a bell. But... centrist Democrat. Okay. Like, you know has a TV show on, I think it's CNN or something. But he, he'd recently, just last week, had a, on his program, had a segment which he called Along for the Pride. And he states how since 1946, each generation has doubled in their LGBT mm-hmm. representation. Right. Um, so from like pre-boomer, it was like 2% of the population of America. Boomers is like 4%. Gen X... So on, it mm. like doubled yeah. and it, it continues to double. So like right. Gen Z's now are like, it's like 11% or something. Right. Anyway, he, he's kind of arguing. He makes the argument that the rate of trans kids in California is around 6% versus, versus Ohio, around 2%, which is about, it's a bit low, but it's about the nationwide standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's, he argues that it, there's some kind of, like fashion and and coercion mm. that happens in California, right. that it's not it's not purely biological. Mm. It's not kids born in California have are biologically more inclined to be. It's it's trendy, yeah. Because California, of course, is always at the forefront of. They're very left leaning, aren't they? And very yeah. well, yeah, yeah. I just want to talk quickly about well, getting back to the doco quickly. Matt Walsh goes to Africa. Speaks with the Maasai people who have um, like really clearly defined roles for men and women and they don't have a concept of transgenderism and they don't, they couldn't, like he asks them and they just, they kind of laugh and they're like, no, that's not a thing. Mm. He asks a tribeswoman what defines a woman. She says it's one who can deliver life. Mm. Um the rate of detransitioning is growing, so which follows. Mm. Around 30% of transgender people, it's estimated, are detransitioning within seven years, which is quite tragic. Yeah, and that's problematic too, isn't it, detransitioning in itself? Like it's not a smooth... It can't really be done because, no. I mean, especially if you like surgery yeah. and... Drugs. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention the psychological challenges of all of that. Um, before, I just, there's two more things I want to say. The first thing I'm going to say, I'm just going to close out the Matt Walsh thing. He goes on Dr. Phil. Mm. <laughs> I'm just going to play the audio. As human beings, we have a sex, male or female. That is a biological scientific fact. 
Now, gender is a linguistic term. Words have gender. People don't. You can have whatever self-perception you want, but you can't expect me to take part in that self-perception or to take part in this kind of charade, this theatrical production. You don't get your own pronouns, just like you don't get your own prepositions or your own your own adjectives. You know, it's like if I were to tell you, my adjectives are handsome and brilliant, and no matter whatever you're talking about me, you have to describe me as handsome and brilliant because that's how I identify. So you think it's a delusion? Well, this is one of the problems with this left-wing gender ideology is that no one who espouses it can even tell you what these words mean. It's like, what is a woman? Well, can you tell me what a woman is? No, I can't. Womanhood is something that is an umbrella term. It includes people that who... That describes what? People who identify as a woman. What is that? What's to each their own. Each woman, each man, each person is going to have a different relation with their own gender identity and define it differently. Right. So you want to reduce problem. women, you want to reduce men down to maybe just their genetics, our genitals, no. our chromosomes, right? That's what you're what saying. You want to do is is that's what, what, you, what you want to do is appropriate women. You want to appropriate womanhood okay. and turn it into basically a costume that could be worn. Joining us on stage is Dr. Susie Denbo, associate professor. Yes. Um... And it's it is it's funny. It doesn't it remains funny in that doco. <laughs> People are like it's someone who identifies as a woman, and he's like, "What is that?" <laughs> it's just like so. <laughs> and yeah, people are like, "There's a a woman." There's a yeah. It's <laughs> it's good. It is good. It's so important. And I mean, I was thinking, I I've watched a couple of film like transgender films you know over recent time well over my life I mean there's heaps of them aren't there there's like you know going back to like the one with Hilary Swank um Boys Don't Cry oh yes um and you know more recently like the Danish girl um and but I watched one a few months ago that was like and I can't remember the name of it and I was just googling it to try and figure out what it was called but I can't but it was essentially about kids who you know were attracted to one another but she didn't want to be so she was a trans he I think and didn't want to be with this boy because he was a a biological male Mm. um, but only wanted to be with um, biological females who identified as males. Like yeah. what a confusing situation. But they just liked each other. They ended up getting together but then he, she found out that he was actually a, a biological male, like had a penis. Right. And then it was like she was betrayed mm. because – but really like if she just let her feelings guide, you know, it's bizarre. But at the time I was like, oh, you know, like what a difficult kind of situation. But, you know, like this kind of film, Matt Walsh's film and, you know, looking into the realities of the whole thing with Big Pharma and the biomedical model and, you know, churning millions of – dollars billions of dollars in this industry of like changing the genders of kids is just yeah a real big can of worms that needs to be faced head on definitely it's not as um like light-hearted as films can sometimes make it out to well, be or I, like, I mean not that that was like a light-hearted view but no yeah. I, I think a lot of the films of course you know it's propaganda is part of yeah well, what that's is right. at work here and i mean speaking of you know, I, I, 
I think it's important to kind of think about why this phenomena is developing. Mm. Um, I suspect that it, you know, it's an, it's an evolution of, you know, when I started uni, I was quite, and that's like 10 years ago, I was quite interested in these ideas around the crisis in masculinity. Yes. And so I think, you know, that used to be really part of like the core of gender studies. Mm. Um, and so rather than, you know, gender studies has gone in the wrong direction. So rather than really try to understand and like improve masculinity and femininity and integrate those and like contribute knowledge in positive ways it's just problematized and made things worse so that's you know and academia is powerful mm. you know it's, it's it's a huge cultural force so you i think you've got that you've also got of course like ruling elites who will take any opportunity to um divide and conquer yeah. and destroy like the human being um, and make money you've got a, a health crisis more broadly like phthalates like those are you know that disrupts the endocrine system right and i think it does it at like an embryonic level right and so you've got like hormonal problems in mm. children that is like in heaps of children yeah um also seed oils gmos yeah that like fucks with your hormonal yes. thing especially in kids right yes. so i think that Actually, like this confusion, there is something, for want of a better term, it's partly organic. Mm. It's It follows that you've got like a generation that are more confused yeah, because of disruptions to their hormonal and endocrine systems. Mm. But this is what we kind of wanted to talk about partly was the role of Aquarius mm. in like the psyche, right? Yes. Yeah, so it is an androgynous sign by yeah. by its kind of modern interpretation. Um, so there is that side to the Aquarian age where gender becomes non-binary and fluid. And <laughs> I mean, I I am interested to see where it goes, but certainly it seems correlative that this, you know, rising of this as a phenomena in the world as a phenomenon in the world is um yeah correlative with our sort of further and further immersion into the age of aquarius mm. so i guess we just watch this space but certainly when you look at the potential you know dangers of it the shadows associated with it in terms of the big farmer and all of that um the exploitation of children as well as, you know, thinking like where does it actually end and um, can adults then begin identifying as children, you know, children as adults, like it becomes quite a dangerous kind of... Well, you see that. You see yeah. these, um, you know, adults that identify as toddlers. Yeah. Seeing that. That and you're seeing of. in schools, it's been, you know, I've seen footage, I'm not sure how true it is, but of children identifying as like cats and dogs yeah and that schools are being asked at a curriculum level like that 
if you have a child that identifies as a dog or cat, like the teacher is obliged to accommodate them in that manner. Provide like, some kitty litter. Well, yeah, give them... <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like, and give them space in the classroom to, like, Do kitty sit stuff. on the floor. Yeah. Like, <laughs> a big ball of string. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a little bone to chew. So it, it absolutely like, so, you know, it really follows like the kind of cultural decline of the West, doesn't it? Yeah. So, and I, I mean, it's super interesting and I don't mean to make light of it because I'm sure in some instances it's absolutely challenging for people, parents of kids who are trying to do the right thing and manage their child's dysphoric, you know, identity crisis. <laughs> but it's probably not but, as significant as it... Well, it's it just probably like... probably is not any more significant. You know, maybe it's up 1% in reality. Do you know what I mean? And also, it's, like, it's like, well, what's wrong with saying to your kid, okay, game's over, mate. Like, that's not reality. You're not a cat. Yeah. You're not a dog. Or what's that's, wrong with saying to your kid... No problem. You can go to school dressed as the opposite sex. You want to go by sure. a different name? Because, you know, statistically, they'll grow out of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with experimenting in terms of appearance. But where it becomes a problem, to my thinking, is where, yeah, there's the use of drugs and surgery. Yes. Um, and where, you know, of course, there's a big discussion point on where schools should be involved and how much it should be being talked about in schools as a thing you know well, like gender as a binary a non-binary thing it's like well whose place is it to discuss this stuff and and when does it stop being about sensitivity and start being about like enabling and yes like, absolutely and that i mean that's something that i mean this is an issue that i would talk about further um because, yeah, it absolutely, def- like it becomes like indoctrination. Yeah, and well, that's right. And grooming almost. Absolutely. Like, so, yeah. You're there's like predatorial. This, this new <laughs> like Instagram page that I've started following called Gays Against Groomers. Okay. And there is like in the last kind of couple of weeks, I've come across like these little new groups that are forming. Right. That are like opposing, like you've got. You know, following along, you know, Candace Owens' lines, for example, you've got Blexit. Mm-hmm. So, like, black people, like, and they talk about exiting the democratic plantation. Right. But they're, like, anti-Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And th- now you've got, like, um, feminists leaving the left. Right. It's like a movement in the, mm-hmm. in America. You've got this new um, gays against groomers. Right. So, all of this, like, ridiculous indoctrination, misinformation like hijacking of like post-truth world stuff. I, th- I actually think that like it, we can be saved, but it, it has to come from within. within. Like it's going to take trans people like um, that Scott guy mm. speaking up against it. Yeah. It's going to take like black people speaking against Black Lives Matter. Yeah, It's going to take gays speaking up against like the fucking groomers yeah. that do exist yeah. because otherwise it, you know, if it's if it's cis white people 
pointing the finger. Yeah. It's not going to be heard. That's and right. It's just maybe it kind of shouldn't be. You colonial. Know? Yeah. Well, yes, it's that colonial it's, attitude, isn't it? Where we can kind of affect change and save everyone. It's like not not that helpful, not that welcome um, by a lot of people, understandably. Yeah. So, yeah. But we can certainly do it. Like I can certainly do my own bit in terms of whatever I can do in my own life. Yeah. But it's not about... Um, yeah, so I don't identify. I just am a white woman, essentially, <laughs> mother, like <laughs> a female adult human. Yeah, <laughs> it's revela- revolutionary in these times, in a way. But um, yeah. So yeah, but we can, of course, we can all do what we can do. But it's um, it's very good from a Jungian point of view, I think, because it's really like this opposition that occurs within these little micro like groups, like within like the gay population to have like a division happen where, you know, it caught, it brings consciousness to the world in the sense that we identify what the darker and more sinister uh, aspects of, that side of life can be, for example, like grooming and, you know, the the risks involved with transgender stuff and that's not to delegitimise it but to be very aware and really facing head on the potential problems that exist within that, especially for kids. Because, mm. um, yeah, I mean, it's one thing to be an adult and have, you know, a kind of identity crisis, but that's your business. But for kids, it's like you can't, yeah. So, but just, you know, it all comes up in the culture and then we face it and these little like movements and counter movements and whatever that go on all bring awareness and consciousness around it, which is all good, you know, like that's very healthy way of approaching stuff. We Mm. have to look at it and we have to, so the more we can talk about it and, the more, you know, controversial it kind of becomes, um, even if it is divisive and a lot of people don't like the division and splitting that goes on, but it's actually necessary. You know, like we do have to figure, you know, to differentiate and figure out what the truth actually is and, you know, the ways we're going to handle shadows and, yeah. I just thought about like with Aquarius and, you know, shadow Aquarius being like us all becoming cyborgs, transhumanism. Mm. One of the shadows, yeah, definitely. Well, like agenderism, <laughs> what would you call it? Like, I mean, yeah, like gender with relation to Aquarius mm. and kind of post-gender, mm. you know, thinking of that in that context, you know, that could be that could be okay. Yeah. It could be sure, really positive. Sure it could. And it, certainly... you think about feminism and, and like second wave feminism mm. and how like positive that is. Yeah. Um and, you know, so by following that line, it's like allowing people to kind of a little bit more freedom of identity and fluidity and incorporating that into society could really be positive because there needed to be some change. Yeah. There well, was this <clears throat> is actually born out of like Bullying and harassment of children Absolutely, and you know, yeah. creating more acceptance. The world that you grew up in, yeah. well, it was harsh. It was, you know, you you suffered because of, you know, yeah. your curiosity and fluidity in a way. Yeah. Like, and that was, you know, not 
not nice. But, I mean, in some sense, you know, it's probably been the making of you in some ways. And anyway, probably... it, it needs to be like there's a shadow to it. Mm. It needs to be incorporated. And, mm. like, we need to remain vigilant. Like, we need to keep talking about it, keep working it mm. and not allow it to just be kind of outsourced of like, oh, yeah, no, we don't have a gender anymore. We don't yeah. do that anymore. We yeah. just have microchips. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like this bloody age of Aquarius, we're just... <laughs> we're ill-equipped. It's, and it's just it's just work, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, it really is. But it, I think the more we can, um, you know, of course we're not going to know what we're doing because we're at the beginning of it. Right, okay. <laughs> but, and, you know, for a while I went through a quite a despondent kind of a stage because you know at the end of the age of Pisces and how did we do with that not so well so (laughs) but I guess it depends on one's perspective and in terms of what we learn from it all and in a weird way things are and I come to this conclusion often but it's an awkward one um, that everything's just right in a weird way yeah and you know that's a hard thing to say because i know for so many people it's triggering it's like nothing about the world is right now Mm. (laughs) everything is completely fucked um and that's true too and i think that's the paradox and i think like for a lot of people that's infuriating kind of way to speak but um and i get that as well but I do feel the truth of that, you know, like that the world is, you know, exquisitely fucked up mm. <laughs> and it's, it is it is the precise conditions for exactly where we need to go. For our evolution. Yeah. Yeah. So even though That's there are... That's such bad news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, we've got to have a sense of humour about it. We've got to have a sense of, um, you know, telos about it, you know, the purpose, where are we going. Um, In a very individual sense, Jung talked about us being the infinitesimal unit upon upon which the world depends. Have I got that right? Let me just check. Yes, human beings, each individual that infinitesimal unit on whom the world depends. Mm. That's what we are, you know. And so we need to take the sanctity of the individual very seriously and honour it very heartfully. And um, no matter where upon any spectrum we identify, it's like we are each like a microcosm of this macrocosm and we need to defend that from corruption and you know the powers that be or want to be you know hmm. uh we're at minute 15 an, an hour 15, hour 15. <laughs> okay what is there something else i i would be happy to kind of call it here and then just yeah well you keep recording it for like 20 minutes oh for, sure yeah patreon yep well, we can oh. do that oh I want to shout out to the new black hole. That was the only other thing to that I really wanted to oh, mention. Yeah. We'll go ahead. Well, that's it. I mean, we can talk <laughs> about it more maybe, but um, yeah, under the Sagittarius full moon as well. That was announced. Does it have a name? Uh, not as far as I know, but it's in the Centaur constellation, which is interesting too. Oh, a nice part of the galaxy. 
beautiful or right is near it in, the, is it in the galaxy well, <laughs> yeah no it's you know in the constellations so um yeah close to the southern cross close to um, oh. like in that sort of part of the sky so you know sort of in the southern sort of part of the sky uh s- south yeah is it south yeah it is mm. j1144 well, I hope they give it a better name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very dry. Yeah. Um, oh, it's been called Sagittarius A. Has it? Yeah. Well, it's, yes, that's its working title. Right. And it's not even in Sagittarius. Hmm. Well, maybe I haven't got my facts completely straight. I shouldn't say it isn't. Um, but I, yeah, anyway, more to learn. More to learn. Always, yeah. Watch this space. Yes. But yeah, I thought it was, it's the biggest black hole um, by far, I believe, yeah, that's been discovered. Yeah, it's 500 times bigger than the last supermassive black mm, hole. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard Zach Bush talk about black holes in relation to hydrogen molecules. And oh, like yeah. that, they're like like the hydrogen molecule is like the micro of the black hole. Yeah, and that all ties in very beautifully to me with the dark feminine because so one of the, I'll share this little anecdote. Um, Alan Watts, the great Alan Watts, talking about um, the astronaut who came back from a space expedition um, was asked if he had been to heaven and seen God. Um, The reporter said, well, what of God? To which the astronaut replied, she's black. Alan Watts then says, imagine that the divine is not a luminous being blazing with light, but an unfathomable darkness. Which is where I feel like, you know, when you think about... Sorry, I know we were going to finish and now I've gone into something new, but like it's when you think about how the illusion of light exists um, because we're inside of our Earth's atmosphere. But if you just go, you know, like a couple of Ks up, you're in complete darkness out there. You know, like Mm. we are always enveloped by blackness Mm. and darkness and she's holding us always. And that to me and, the you know, like the rich of the dark earth um you know from which all of our fertility on earth comes from those kinds of things are what make me really believe so much in the dark feminine because that's where everything comes out of hey there's more like antimatter than there is that's right so dark matter was discovered like close to the discovery of eris as a dwarf planet, and um, there's 74% is, you know, dark. Void. <laughs> da- yeah, and, you know, then there's the, so there's dark matter and there's um, dark, what is the other one? Oh, man, my brain. Um, I haven't got it, but, yeah. The vast majority of the universe is made up of unknown. Hmm. You know, just as, you know, and that's a correlate to our experience as humans, I would suggest. Yeah. There's so much we don't know. Yeah, unknowable. Yeah. 
but yet still demands our reverence, you know, like it's not, Yeah. we don't know and we don't care. Annoying. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you for listening to me crap on everybody. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, Liam. Thanks, Zoe. Um, look forward to catching you next week. Um, we're just going to head over and keep chatting a little bit on the Patreon, which please go and have a look at if you're so inclined. It's yeah. good. There's good content there. There is. I would say. Yeah. And it won't cost you. Yeah. You can subscribe if you want, but there's free content. Yeah. So. Yeah. Go Check have a out. listen. Check it out. And we'll catch you next time. We will. On the flip side. <laughs> Peace. Peace. Ah, oh, there's the word dark energy and dark matter. Got it. <laughs>